0: I got to start off with the fact that I've had calls from all around the world uh, for the podcast. I've spoken to people in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa north america literally all over the world i'm only missing two continents at this point but i believe this is the first time i've actually spoken to someone all the way from quarantine so how are you sir
1: yeah yeah i'm i'm good i'm good um it's a bit weird being in quarantine because like we've uh to anybody who's listening like i'm based over in uh chamonix in france and um it's been pretty good there we had like a really really strict quarantine initially and then um and then things kind of loosened up a bit. And we've had a really good summer of freedom. Um, but obviously coming back to the UK, we're at, I'm, I'm from the UK. And I'm actually in Surrey at the moment at my girlfriend's parents. And we'll be locked indoors for two weeks. Um, just had to come back, got a MOTR car and uh, had to come back and see some family. So yeah, we've kind of got to do it.
0: Now your Instagram tagline, and it's a really cheesy way to start a question, but Your Instagram tagline is life on old cameras. Why old cameras? Um, I mean,
1: they're kind of just the ones that... Well, when I first started the Instagram, I mean, I kind of had the idea of just shooting a lot on film. Um, And it kind of came about because about 10 years ago, I picked up an old Minolta X700. I don't know if you're familiar with the camera. Um, If anybody's getting into... Shooting film, they might have researched cameras and they may have found the x seven hundred but um I kind of had it laying around and it was just gathering dust when I was working in London and when we moved out to chamonix um i kind of I kind of dug it out and and started shooting it a little bit and and then uh and it just kind of evolved from there, and I was just sharing all the pictures that we were shooting when we were out and about um and I kind of stuck with that theme but i mean i I, I do generally just enjoy shooting on film i mean. I shoot a lot of digital as well. Um, it's probably worth saying it's not my job either. It's just, you know, it's completely a hobby for me. So um, it's kind of something nice to do um, when we're out and about in the mountains and getting up to everything we do out there.
0: In terms of the reason that you picked up a camera in the first place, is it something that runs in the family or just something you found by yourself?
1: I guess it's funny because my my dad was always really, really into cameras um even from like the younger age i can remember going on holiday but he was really more into like he was really into video cameras he was really into like documenting like family holidays and he was always really into photography as well like, as well as like a pastime um not so much these days but he's also a pretty good artist and he was kind of always handy with with oils and he was good at painting and i don't know maybe it just came, came from there probably i mean I don't know. I don't even really know what made me get into it. I mean, it might be worth saying that, you know, I studied I studied lithography when I, was, when I was a teenager um, and, you know, uh, printing and, and litho. And I don't know, it kind of just went along with that. I'd always just had a fascination with, with photography and art in general. And I kind, of just, I kind of just wanted to get into it more when I moved out to the mountains. And that's, that's what I did.
0: Well, let's, let's dive into the subject that I find probably the hardest when it comes to photography, which is uh, landscape work. I find it unbelievably difficult on, on a compositional level and also just because I'm probably a bit too fat to be doing half of the, the hiking that's necessary to get to the good locations. Let's start off with like, how do you, how do you train yourself to be a good landscape photographer? Because obviously you take some phenomenal images, but how do you train yourself to get to the point where you actually are able to capture what you're seeing?
1: Oh man, it's I don't I mean being like I said, as it's not my job at all, it's it's not my profession. I guess I just know what I want in the image and I just I just try and recreate that. And I know so, some landscape photographers are probably um probably really into to producing a really pure image and, and I, I am too. I mean, I, I like to try and create an image that represents what I see. Um but but you can enhance that slightly. Um, I guess I look for in, in landscape, especially it's the composition, um, and light. I look for light a lot. I mean, the I, mean, I, I think it's funny with film because like, I see so much stuff, especially on Instagram, like, um, you know, like, and, and to be honest, I'm probably guilty of it at first. When I first started shooting on film, you assume that because it's shooting on film, it picks up some bonus points, but it doesn't because <laughs> film's just a medium. And uh, like, the image is nothing without the right light, the right composition. And I've taken so many bad photos out in the mountains just because the light's not right. The composition's off, you know, and it, I think it's you're right. It's, it's a lot of different factors that you have to that have to come into a line um, in order to make a great photo. And I'm still very much in the learning process. Um, And it's never easy, like out in the mountains, the, the light changes so much and you can often like put in so much time to get to these places, get there and then kind of be snuffed out by the clouds that are maybe on the horizon or, you know, the light's just not quite working. And sometimes you can have like the most amazing sunset, the colors burn really strong and you get back and if you overexpose it a bit too much. It'll either become really, really horrible and saturated or just blown out completely. And then you just get nothing. So it is a bit difficult.
0: I mean, one of the things with photography that's so fascinating to me is the fact that if like, so for example, I mostly photograph people and that presents a whole bunch of challenges in the non-photographic sense, because you have to be able to deal with people. You have to be able to develop an interpersonal relationship, sometimes with people that you don't like to be able to get to, to the image that you want to get from them. What are the non-photographic challenges of being a landscape photographer?
1: um i think I think researching like or knowing where you're going to go um, and and having a bit of a plan before you go out and I guess that would be a non-photographic influence um, but also I think as well when you're shooting on film, maybe if you're using like. I guess this is kind of still photographic, but when you're using labs to, you know, um, develop and scan your work as well, it's kind of finding somewhere who shares your vision, like finding a lab that shares your vision so that you're on the same page with them as to what you're trying to create. I mean, they're both still photographic influences. I mean, another, I mean, for me, if we're talking non photographic, it's fitting it around my normal schedule as well, like. I work full-time out in the mountains. Um, like I, I work in the, the travel industry. We're pretty slow at the moment, but um, like finding the time to get out there and do it is probably the hardest, um, the hardest factor that I face.
0: But you do seem to be in like, uh, a really particularly fantastic place for someone that wants to photograph landscapes. What, what, is, Fran- what is France like and what are the mountains like as a subject?
1: the, if you've ever been to the Alps, then it, I mean, have you ever been to the Alps? I don't know. I mean, to anybody, Sadly listening not, no. Right? no, um, the Alps are a pretty amazing place. And, um, Chamonix is kind of, it's kind of the Mecca really. If you're, I mean, we're surrounded, like I live practically below Mont Blanc in, uh, in, in Chamonix, um, right in the town center. And, the mountains in uh, the Agui de Chamonix and the the mountains in the Mont Blanc Massif are probably some of the most dramatic um, you can find like within the Alps. They're, the valley goes from like one thousand meters to four eight tens, kind of the height of Mont Blanc, and and it is pretty steep. Um, And they're very jagged. They're just very unique mountains, all pretty much covered in, especially on the north side of the valley, covered in glaciers, and um, it's a pretty spectacular place.
0: I mean, you mentioned earlier about the potential to come back from an amazing scene and have pushed your film too far and have have obviously then the issue of not getting the photo that you wanted. What's your success rate like with film? Because obviously I got—I feel like the temperature, the, the fatigue that's got to set in when you're actually traveling to these locations. Is it something that you have to be really, really conscious of every move that you're making when you're taking pictures on film?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like I've, I found like for me as well, like over this summer, I set myself a couple of, a couple of rules. And that was like to really consistently shoot one film stock, um, uh, or, or like at least one film family. And obviously I, I shoot a lot on, on portrait film. I do, I do like, I do veer away from that from time to time. I shoot a lot of black and white as well, which sometimes I share, sometimes I don't, um, on, on a lot of Ilford film, but, um, I kind of I kind of set a rule where like I kind of I've, I've got a new camera body. I've always shot Minolta, So I've got a good Minolta lens collection, and I picked up an SRT 101, like a fully mechanical camera, because often where I'm going, like sometimes um, it gets pretty cold as well, especially in winter. And then uh, those cameras didn't operate anymore because they're relying on batteries. And uh, the, the SRT is really good. It's like mechanical. So I, I kind of set myself a rule to kind of just shoot with with three lenses and, and one body um and try and keep my tools as consistent as possible for it, for each time I go out um the SRT is great for that there's definitely better cameras out there and and probably better uh, definitely better optics as well but for me it works and um and and that's definitely helped a lot um I never use like internal meters either anymore I always use handheld meters um And that's kind of helped, helped a load, but, um, still always room for improvement. (laughs) Like, um, I'd say my hit rate can be varied. It totally depends on the light. It totally depends on the scene as well. Like it's so, it's so, it's so difficult all the time when you're, when you're facing the challenge of the weather, really.
0: I mean, with uh, what you've just brought up there, something that I talk about constantly, which is if you limit your options in terms of gear, you, you create some sort of personally imposed restrictions. It actually forces you to be more creative and to work harder within those margins than if you just have endless options. You tend to be more focused on just trying everything to see if, you know, if you throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. When it comes to landscapes, obviously somewhere like um, not to be too um, on the nose here, but a mountain's pretty big. And it's going to be fairly easy to just kind of point a camera at a mountain and then there you go. Like, like you said, you've got to be chasing the good light. You've got to be at the right angle. You've got to be looking for, for the right composition. But in terms of adding those restrictions in, those sort of self-imposed restrictions, does it make you work harder compositionally?
1: Yeah, definitely. Working with fixed lenses always does as well. You probably get that anyway, because like, I'm sure you take portraits, but I'm sure you're keen on taking your camera out when, uh, you know, you probably do a bit of landscape stuff as well. And, um, or street photography, I don't know, but, um, it, whenever you're using a fixed lens, you always have to work a bit harder. I typically just go up with a 28 and a, and it's a weird focal length, a 45, but I absolutely love it. (laughs) It's, it's just, it's tack sharp lens, which is why I like it. And it's just a bit wider than a 50, not much, but it's, but it's good and I like it. Um, and yeah, you kind of just have to move around a bit when you get up there, get up to the spot and then just walk around and find what kind of works within the scene. And if you've still got enough time to pull the trigger whilst the light's still good and, you know, your chances are pretty high. Um, but yeah, I mean, pointing a camera at a mountain is, is, is easy. I do also think sometimes like I'm lucky in a way because I'm based in such a such an iconic location, I probably get gratitude for some of my images, which you know sometimes can be a bit superficial just because of where they are um it's it's such a there's so there's so many talented people in that valley um i don't know if anybody's listening like just just search the location and you'll see some of the fantastic landscape work coming out from people who are shooting not not just film but i mean shooting digital and um sports and brand photography and action photography documentary photography there's just some fantastic stuff coming out of that valley
0: and going back to something you said earlier about sometimes you do shoot black and white um how do you make that decision between what is a black and white shot and what is a color shot
1: oh that depends on like depends again it depends on the weather it depends on the time of day um time of day and and also like the time of year i i've about to start shooting and continuing a series that I did, which was like a changing seasons project I started last year. Um, it just lends itself really well to, to black and white. I love shooting black and white as well, just for the aesthetic. I mean, I like to have a lot of grain in my black and white images and and I, it makes you work even harder. I think when you're shooting black and white, um, compositionally, um, I'd also, I'd also favor black and white if I'm going up in the day and like, you know, I don't share all of my images. So, you know, often when we're going out on adventures, I'll probably opt to choose to shoot black and white because it's cheaper for me. I develop it at home and shooting color in the day, like when it's, the light gets really harsh in the valleys, when the sun's directly above the mountains, the shadows can be super deep and it just works better for black and white, in my opinion. But um but I mean that's kind of what influences most of my choices um time of year and um I like, remember last if, if it's really cloudy and there's a lot of haze and a lot of mist in the, in the sky like I, I I love nothing more than going up with like um you know black and white film and just just pushing it a bit and trying to bring out the contrast and then I think you can create a real mood with those shots
0: Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by a scene because obviously these are such huge vistas that it can almost be hard to pick out something within it compositionally
1: yeah you can sometimes get up there and like just run around a bit like a headless chicken I'm <laughs> just thinking like oh man I want to photograph this and I, you know, maybe I should point it over there but actually I think some of the best ones I've got are like when I shot one recently like coming down from the murder glass we just went up for the um went up for for an evening like went up to have dinner up on the mountain and some of the best shots I got were on the way down like the light it kind of finished. It was just residual light left on the mountain. And I kind of set the tripod up just on the walk down. Um, and I just kind of stumbled across a couple of scenes. Um, I wasn't really thinking about it too much. I think that kind of helps as well. Like if you're always, if you've always got the camera with you and you're always in the mountains, you can often just come across something that you weren't looking for. Definitely, definitely can be o- overwhelming at times though. Like if you, if you go up and, and, it's not what you expected it to be, or maybe there's just too much to photograph and you just have to slow it down a bit.
0: There's something that I've always been kind of challenged by when it comes to shooting images that don't involve people. And it's probably down to the fact that I'm, I might be a sociopath, I don't know, but I find it really hard to to connect myself to what I'm photographing. So I go out once a year, at least I go and shoot New York for, for a week. I just wander around with the camera and shoot New York. Um, last year, I went to nevada on my own and i just went around uh, various national parks shooting um and i i just found that it was very hard for me to find uh sentimentality and feeling in a shot that doesn't involve people and i think that just beca- is because i come from a place of only photographing people generally how do you go about finding stuff that's going to have like a, a connection to the viewer
1: i don't i mean i shoot for me really like um because i live there like i'm really just creating a record of my time there i don't know if i'll be in chamonix forever um, and look, but I really don't shoot for anybody else other than me. Um, I kind of, I kind of like going out and just, just try, trying to make a record of everything we do. Um, and most of the time, like that is what it is. It's not me setting out on a specific photography mission. It's me carrying my camera, and we're up there anyway. Um, so I guess that maybe that helps a bit. I do sometimes put people in my shots too, like if we're out hiking and I I do shoot people on the mountains, but it's not that often. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that, I mean, I guess because I'm not, you know, because it's just for me, it's just a hobby. Like I'm just kind of documenting the nice scenery that I'm experiencing in my time there.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just a case that if you're shooting something for yourself and you have that that emphasis that that's going to carry through to the person viewing it in a lot of cases. Whereas with me... I'm trying to find a way to photograph it so that it'll be important to someone else. So maybe the trick would be to find a way to photograph it so that it's important to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, that would be, I suppose that's just a totally different challenge that you would face like with photography rather than myself, because I guess maybe I don't, I don't even notice those sort of pressures, I guess, because I'm just, I am just shooting for myself. And like, if, if I get good images out of it, then that's really good. But if I don't, then um, you know, I can always do it Do it next time or like try and make them better.
0: Well, the question I get often asked at workshops and, um, and just in general online is about the quickest way to improve as a photographer or how to go through the gears, how to get over a wall when you're kind of hitting um, a slump and you've plateaued. And something that I do keep bringing up with um, photographers, and I think this definitely applies mostly to people that photograph people but in general I think it's a good thing to have is developing a good sense of what you actually like you know do your due diligence do your research find stuff that really does speak to you and influence you by other artists and just immerse yourself in that for a while um what are your influences as a photographer
1: Oh man, they're so broad because, you know, like it's not something I've ever really, you know, photography is not something I've studied, but I mean, obviously being into it, you do. And like, I mean, I really like some of the works of like old school artists, like people like Galen Rowell, who's like wasn't himself not a photographer, you know, he's just out in the mountains with his camera, bringing back adventures for people that he knew closely, which turned into a bit of a career for him. I really like some of the works by um, people like um, Joe Curran. He's, you know, like um, like the son of Pat Curran. He's like a surfboard shaper. Um, shoots some nice landscape stuff. Good documentary photography. Um, I also follow like I've got some real inspirations from like I mean, my true passion. I really, love, photography is a, a massive like passion of mine. But my true passion is is snowboarding, and that's why I'm I'm out in the in the Chamonix Valley. Come winter i kind of slow things down quite a bit on the, on the photography funks it's just not all, always convenient i'm going to try and step it up a bit this winter but i follow a lot of like and I, and I look for inspiration in a lot of people like um like filmmakers like jason baffer um who's i don't know if you know some of his work um he made like a really he makes made a good film around italy called bella vita and then i follow a couple of couple of people and um uh, who were pretty pretty well-known in the snowboard filmmaking industry called like Jake Price, Tanner Pendleton. They shoot 16mm and produce some pretty amazing um, pretty amazing snowboard films. Um, I, I really do want to get into shooting snowboarding more. And like one of my... I remember listening to a podcast this time last year, and I remember listening to um, an interview uh, where there was a talk about um, a famous... Uh, Photographer um from from back in the day, a snowboard photographer called Bud Fossett. And he was um well back then shooting probably on all always shooting on film like Kodachrome and Kodak Plus X. And if you look at some of his images, he must have been an absolute master of the craft. He's just so good. And his images are just tack sharp and perfectly exposed and and compositionally as well. They were just so on point. So I kind of look all over the place for inspiration. I mean, Instagram's pretty good for inspiration, YouTube's pretty good. The film scene's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of it's kind of picked up loads over the last two years as well. Um I remember like it was pretty hard to find like resource for like shooting film back, you know, even just like four years ago. But now it seems that but like every day there's just like another video popping up and um, it, you, you, can, you can go on YouTube and, and, and online and you can pick up so much good information on there.
0: It sounds like you're so influenced by the motion side of, of imaging and the fact that you do something, you know, in, let's say in your other life when it comes to snowboarding, that is so much about motion. It's kind of strange that you're, you're so affixed to photography. Is, is doing more video work something that you would be interested in doing?
1: yeah I'd like to i i have i have always thought that I'd like to drift into that space and it's with my friend and I have kind of talked about putting putting something together this winter um we kind of need to sit down actually when I get back and actually put a bit of a plan together so that may be something to like look out for like in the coming future um maybe towards the end of the winter we're thinking about putting something together but I mean that's just so loose at the moment and it just totally depends on how winter's gonna go with the whole covid thing we just don't even know if the lifts will be running i mean it doesn't matter so much if they're running or not because we can still get out in the mountains but um you know it might be a bit restrictive with carrying up equipment but we have been thinking about putting together something um and but, but really what i'd like to get into this winter as well is maybe just a bit more um you know as much as i like shooting landscapes i like shoot, shooting everything so I'd like to maybe do a bit more documentary style um photography and, and maybe not just film, maybe a bit of digital as well and um document some of our, our adventures out there and maybe give it a push and try and try and talk about um the splitboarding scene in Chamonix and the snowboarding scene and try and get that out there to a few people. But that's that's kind of like where I want to take it this winter anyway.
0: I mean, one of the things that I find fascinating with uh, talking to any type of photographer is just their own sort of self-evaluation, because I think that we get so hung up on trying to be perceived. And I'm not saying that everybody is, but I think social media is having a bizarre effect on the human race. And we become so enamored with the way that we're perceived by other people that sometimes I don't think we even think how we look to ourselves. In terms of the fact that you have a full time job, it sounds like it's probably quite a physical one, quite an exhaustive one. um, And you also have to deal with the weather conditions and so on. Obviously, it would be quite easy to not do photography and just relax and do nothing and and be lazy. What is it that photography does for you personally that makes you keep going out and doing it?
1: My job's not too exhausting. Like, I am behind the computer quite a lot of the time. Um, I just, I guess for me, like, with my work, I don't have a massive amount of like create, like, I mean, I'm not, I can be creative in it and I can run like the social channels and stuff. And I do a lot of marketing stuff for, for the company. And, um, but uh, like, it doesn't give me like complete creative freedom. So photography for me is just kind of a good escape from that. And just a good pastime. like, for the most part, when we moved out to Chamonix, when summer had rolled around, I was either mountain biking or you know we were out hiking um so it's just kind of a nice thing to add to it um i don't know the way i'm perceived as well just going back to that that question um i don't know i think i think you could probably overthink that a bit i think you just got to do what what you want to do and if people like it they like it and if they don't then i guess they don't um i don't know do you get that
0: well, I feel like the problem is, is that a lot of people want to bypass the people finding you stage. So they want, if you want to create something and you want other people to consume it, it takes a while to to cultivate an audience that's going to enjoy what you do because they've got to find you because you're not immediately present to everybody. So what a lot of people do to avoid that, that buffering period where people are finding you is they just do what they see other people doing that would make them popular and in that way, they're being completely dishonest with themselves about what they actually want to be creating. And at that point, you're almost pa- you're you're painting by numbers just for the sake of popularity.
1: That's it. And you've got to be a bit careful with that trap. And I and I notice it, and I feel it sometimes. You don't want to be caught just feeding a feed on Instagram because you're robbing yourself of your creative freedom. And. Um, I think sometimes it's good to be able to steer yourself away from the norm and like maybe just produce images for yourself and and maybe introduce it to your social media as well, regardless of what maybe people would think of it. Um, I mean, I do I do shoot an awful lot more than what you would ever see on on things like Instagram and, and and stuff. But I mean, it is important to shoot for yourself as well, and just just as long as you're always kind of kind of doing that, whether it's for you know getting noticed or not because eventually if you if you're always working on it in the background I would imagine it's it's only going to be getting better and, and when it does get noticed it will be you know exactly where you want it to be
0: and in terms of um what you find the hardest or what deters you the most from getting what you want from photography what's the most challenging aspect of being a photographer for you
1: I don't know I don't know I'm, I'm I guess what I would really like to do like I say is like um I'd like to do a lot more documentary style stuff um i don't I don't really find any of it too daunting i mean I mean like it's probably different for me because it is just a pastime um i don't I don't know if I can even really answer that <laughs> like I kind of enjoy all of all of it of what I do otherwise I kind of wouldn't do it so i don't I don't find too much of it too daunting, and if it does become like that, I can kind of just take a break from it and then pick it up again.
0: That's a wonderful part of it not being your job, I have to say since it's been become my job, there are days where I'm just like, yeah, I'm not enjoying this, but this is what I'm doing now. So I'm just going to yeah. have to find a way to get through it.
1: Well, I've always thought, I've always thought like, maybe it would be like that. And it's like that famous old saying, isn't it? You know, you turn, turn your, turn your hobby into your job and you start hating it. Um, but I don't think that had ever happened and whether it will ever become my job or not, I don't know. But I mean, I can only imagine like if it is your full-time job, it could be hard. Um, Especially when this is probably such a crowded market now, um, I, from what I can see as well, especially on social media and I mean, everybody, I mean, the Chamonix Valley as well, like there's so many people, like I said before, there's so many people out there doing it um, to do something like to, to work in that space would be really, really difficult.
0: So I know very little about landscape photography in any kind of deep-rooted sense. I've scratched the surface very briefly, um, but I know very little. One thing I'm always curious with with people that photograph genres that I don't tend to dabble in is yeah. what the cliches are of that genre that you either don't enjoy or do your best to avoid.
1: Ah. Oh. I d- I don't know. Like for a while, I was I was kind of steering myself away from shooting at golden hour and like trying to shoot a, like you know a nice colourful sunset and stuff. But to be honest, it, like I f- I found myself doing it a lot in this 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 summer because it's it's when the mountains look their best. Um, but then like I try and I try and kind of home in on 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 other disciplines as well, and then that's that's where black and white really comes in handy because you can. Work on totally different elements there, like with composition and shooting in different weather conditions. Um, you can do that with color, too, but I tend to do it more with black and white. I guess those are kind of the things that you would you would try and try and avoid a bit, but for me, I'm like I guess the black and white would probably be my way of escaping it
0: if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you're someone that comes across as an infinitely optimistic person, which given uh, the environment that you're in every day sounds like I can completely understand why you would be that way. I happen to be a troll that lives under a bridge that's perpetually waiting for the end of the world. So we're very different in that sense. Um, In terms of like... If you were to pick out a memory with photography, do you have like a specific day that was like your most enjoyable day where you've gone for a hike and you've got, you know, everything's kind of lined up. The weather was good. The light was good. The hike was fun. You got exactly the image you wanted, or you even went beyond what you were expecting to get from, from the shoe? Is there, is there any particular days that stand out?
1: Yeah, we've had, we, well, we've had, we've had lights, but I mean, we, we've had one this, um. This summer, like uh just a recent trip we um i don't i don't know it was it was you would have seen some of the photos on my feed um we just we went up literally with photography not really like being the main objective. we went up and watched a bit of jazz at this hotel um managed to have a couple of drinks, snuck up for sun, so actually had my tripod with me, so it kind of was it kind of was in the plan um but yeah, got some good shots and one of the best sunsets ever. I mean, I get to see so many good sunsets out out in Chamonix and, and all of them are equally amazing. Um, but some of the best times as well, like this summer, I, we went up camping um, in an area kind of out out of Chamonix. It's about probably about an hour's drive in uh, Le Grand Bonon. And, uh, we went up to, um, a coal, like over the Aravi range and I I pretty much got to see probably my best sunset of of my life. I actually, I actually kind of screwed up a bit on, on the image, but, um, I got some all right shots out of it, but I I left my filters at home and it was such a dynamic scene. I just couldn't really capture it all to like on, on film. I should have really been carrying like a graduated filter just because it was such a, it was, the, the t- in terms of light it was just it was there was so many deep shadows and the, the sky was burning pretty brightly in order to get all that info in there i should have really been been using filters but um i didn't i didn't plan on seeing that sunrise but um that was pretty notable sunrise and even even though they weren't the best images it's one that i remember um for being one of the best that i've seen in my life um which was good. And it was a really good camping trip We were with some friends who were visiting, which was in itself, you know, pretty, pretty impressive because we didn't expect to see anybody this summer because of the whole COVID lockdown and everything. It was kind of nice just to have friends out there with us and be sharing those, those experiences with people we know.
0: There's nothing like seeing a good sunset during the apocalypse. So it sounds pretty perfect. (laughs) Sticking with the theme of sort of self-evaluation here. I'm always fascinated by these two sides of things. What do you think your biggest strength is as a photographer?
1: Oh, I enjoy it. I mean, I think that's the biggest strength. Like I genuinely do enjoy it. And I'm like, I'm really, I I am into it. I kind of, I feel like I've been getting better at it. Um, It just through time. Um, And I don't see... I don't really see photography for me as like something that I'm into now and won't be into in, in 20 years. Like I see it as like a lifelong thing. So, you know, I I see, I see my images always getting better. I I think I've learned to, I've, I've kind of learned, especially this summer where I've like noticed them getting better. Um, more to my eyes anyway, maybe not to others. Um, but I've noticed that, um, sticking with like knowing, knowing when to like draw the line and like, like I said earlier, like sticking to equipment, which is, you know, just keeping my equipment consistent. And then, um, uh, you know, I, I'm also, also, also kind of a bit of like, I often don't like my, my, my photos. Like um, maybe I've got that syndrome where like you I'm you, you forever trying to make them better and like learn from what could have made it better, like constantly trying to push myself. So I'd say maybe that's actually a kind of a strength. Because I'm always looking to improve them, um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if you you suffer with that at all with shooting portraits. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like I always evaluate my stuff. I look at it and like what well, I like. One week I'll probably look back and I'm like, oh, I don't really like that anymore. Um, so I'm always pushing myself to make them a bit better.
0: Yeah, I I tend to tell people that self-hatred is a fantastic motivator. If it wasn't if it wasn't for self-hatred and spite, I don't know if I'd ever have any motivation to do anything. So it's definitely um it's definitely a good motivator. But then on the flip side, and this is usually where people have like a whole laundry list of things that they want to get out. What would you say is is your biggest weakness as a photographer?
1: Like we've brushed on it. Like I think you've got to be careful about things with like social media now and like you've got to spend like I try and limit myself on there to like I try and honestly, I try and limit myself to like, you know, you can watch that little timer and you've got the little minute count for each time you go on it. I try and limit myself to like 45 minutes a day on there, which sounds like a lot, but I'm sure there's loads of people out there that probably spend way more than that on there. I try and spend not too much time on there and, and try and try and take photos that aren't like, you know, not just trying to feed like an, an audience, um, but i find myself sometimes doing it which is kind of a fallback um and you know sometimes i feel like maybe it would be better to you know like as as i've kind of progressed with taking photos like maybe leave the camera at home every once in in a while and, and actually like maybe be a bit more strategic about what i shoot and and don't shoot so much but every time you go out just shoot with a specific purpose and a specific scene plan, like where I go more um, plan the composition before actually going there and, and just be a bit more tactile about the stuff that I'm actually trying to create and the final image. Um, cause I find sometimes like because I'm always just carrying the camera and we're hiking around, maybe you end up kind of, and film's expensive. Like it costs so much money to, to shoot film these days. Um, maybe it'd be a better thing if I was to slow that down a bit and, just shoot a bit more strategically. Uh, that's, I'd say that's probably my biggest weakness.
0: If I was to force you into a corner and tell you that you're now going to be a mentor for someone that's, um, looking to progress as a landscape photographer, what's the one piece of advice you would give them to, to kind of set them off on the right track?
1: Uh, I'd probably just say, it is like, like think about the composition more and, um, and i don't know even know what it would be like i mean i do shoot a bit of landscape on digital as well but i mean with film it's it, you have to be very very like critical about when you're going to pull that that shutter because like it costs you money every time you do it i would just say like and like be really strategic about where you're going to go and and make those shots um because i don't know I don't know if that even really answers your question, but I mean like composition is everything in those in those photos, Um, then kind of nothing without it. And some of mine are weak and then some of mine are are good. And that's all just because of the elements around them. Um, So, I mean, that would be what I would say, but be prepared to put in the time as well, because it's like it's I'm prepared to like kind of invest you know, a good 10, 15 years and more like into getting better at it. And I and I don't think you would end up... It's not something you can get good at straight away.
0: Well, is this something where, like going back to what you were kind of saying there, that you would... Would you agree that potentially shooting on film early on would, would make you a better landscape photographer because you have to be more selective with each frame, whereas digital, you can just kind of hit and hope?
1: Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think both are difficult. Both have their like... Both, I mean, just because you can preview an image, like when you take it with, with digital doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make you a better landscape photographer. I think with film, you just, it's more painful when you get it wrong because it just costs so much money <laughs> every time you do it. Like, I don't know. Um, and just, I'd say probably learning to read the lights probably the most important thing, knowing when and where to be. And what's going to look good? And digital is definitely a better. When a lot of people actually ask me, because my like feed's like so orientated around film, obviously, a lot of people will message me and say, "Oh, I just bought a Minolta SRT 101, and have you got any advice for for doing it? I've never shot like for, I've never shot a camera before, and I'd probably, I mean, I'd say probably pick up a digital one for a bit and like make your mistakes there because they don't cost you as much and You can kind of see all of the effects that you're having like by changing your apertures and lenses focal lengths you can see all of that firsthand um but but i mean i don't know you just you just do what you're going to do don't you if if that's what you want to do and you're going to go and shoot, shoot it then you just get better because every time you get an image back if you don't like it you go out there and do it again and try and make it better
0: And in terms of, I mean, you mentioned earlier that the fact that the film has had this resurgence, especially the last two years when it comes to YouTube and Instagram and so on. Um, What do you put that down to? Why do you think film is coming back at a time when cameras are, are so capable now of basically operating almost without you doing stuff? Why is film becoming a thing again?
1: I guess a lot of people, I don't know if people romanticize about it as a medium and they feel like maybe it's like cooler or something like that. Because like I've said before, like just because it's shot on film doesn't mean it's good because I've got so many terrible. Oh, in fact, maybe after you launch this podcast, I'll post some of my awful images that I've taken on film because um, maybe, maybe it'd be a good thing to do that. But um, yeah, it can look really bad. Um, I I literally bought. A, I remember buying that X700 because I wanted a DSLR. But I just remember when I bought that camera, it was. um, I think film was probably an all-time low, and I picked up that camera for about thirty pounds with a with a fifty millimeter lens. It was mint condition, and to me, like I just thought, oh, well, this is still like an SLR, like right? and it's, it looks pretty good. I maybe I just get that. It was just cheaper back then like it was cheaper to buy a film dslr and i kind of like the idea about the aesthetic um but it has been a long process of learning how to use it definitely um and i do shoot a lot digital as well i've got like a nice little panasonic um like mirrorless camera with some really really nice nice like panasonic leica lenses they make great lenses Um, for me for shooting landscapes as well it's kind of good when i'm shooting digital and even with a crop sensor because you can kind of stack them together and you can still get some pretty amazing photos out of it um but either either way like um i don't, I don't know i don't really favor favor either um but i got into it because it was cheaper and now I, I think it's just become more popular because there's so many people out there doing it right i mean if um uh, you can see it. All people are like really loving it, aren't they? Even from like things like people creating stories with film borders and things like that. And people do kind of romanticize it about it a bit. Like before, really maybe I don't know. Before thinking about it and actually doing it and shooting it, and getting the images back, they're probably already in love with them, you know. Um, which is which which is kind of strange. But
0: the fake film borders on on digital images is something that I find. I don't have like a protective feeling over it. I just find it to be a bit pathetic if I'm being completely honest. In most cases, it just feels incredibly disingenuous and very uh, like, I don't like the word because I feel like it's too vague, but it's very hipsterish. It's very trying to get an aesthetic without putting in the work and, In a sense, I just, I don't find it tremendously interesting other than I sort of just think about the photographer on a psychological level and I just kind of try and think what it is that they're up to. To put you on the spot with my last question, it has nothing to do with photography, but I know a few people that have done various winter sports for, for enjoyment and, and some for actual competition and whatnot, which is better snowboarding or skiing.
1: You're you're speaking to somebody who's like so pro snowboarding. Um, like I do ski and I skied when I was a kid, but for me, like the experience of snowboarding is it so outweighs like what I got out of skiing anyway. Um so I'm like massively into I'm massively into snowboarding, and that's tough because Chamonix is full of skiers. So like I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm the odd one out there, but, but I love it. And um, it definitely keeps me motivated. Like, where, where in the UK, everyone here is kind of like, oh, no, nights are pulling in and, like, you know, <laughs> the weather's changing and, like, it's getting rainy and you've got all those short days coming ahead. Like, I'm genuinely really motivated about, about winter being on the horizon. And I like all that. I love that time of year. So I just love that whole winter mood. So... I, I, I know I love snowboarding. It's where it's at for me,
0: for sure. Well, to, to be fair, in England, we get pissed off when the days get longer and it gets warmer as well as getting yeah, pissed yeah. off when the days get shorter and it gets That's colder. It. I think it's just an English thing. We're just constantly threatened by the weather. Um, it's it. been fantastic to talk to you. I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to do this. Um, the most important part of the podcast is for people to be able to find your work. So this is your chance to tell people where to go to find what you do.
1: Oh, man, you can just find it and just look on Instagram. It's Visuals. Don't ask me how he come up with that name. It's a a, a local peak, basically. Um, And uh, that's kind of what it's named after. Um, But I did have a website as well, which I'm kind of working on in the background, um, which was greponvisuals.com. I'm going to be relaunching that. um, Probably just before we go into winter, I've kind of pulled it down recently. I'm doing doing a bit of work on it. Um, So once that's up, there'll be a link there too. Um, but that's where you can find it, and and uh, and yeah, I'd be grateful if anybody comes by and checks out. Thanks, Chris, for for inviting me on the show. Honestly, like for somebody who's not a professional photographer to be invited to come in and talk about photography and my journey with it is an absolute privilege. So I appreciate it.
0: It's a pleasure to talk to you.
1: And I wish uh, anybody who's coming out in Chamonix as well always like if if you ever want uh, some advice on the area, definitely get in touch.